Welcome to Marketing for the Sales Guy, a podcast that aims to share marketing ideas that salespeople can use, but also hopefully will be relevant to B2B marketers that want to see sales results from their marketing efforts. Okay, everybody, welcome to the program this week. I'm lucky to have on the program Tim Saw, Director of Strategic Communications and Partnerships at InvestKL. Welcome to the program, Tim. Good morning, Jeremy. Thank you for having me and good morning, listeners. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on the program, Tim. I'm uh, really excited to kind of just have a chat uh, on all things marketing and, and all things Malaysia and InvestKL. Just to kick things off, I just wondered if you could just very briefly tell us a little bit about what it is that InvestKL does uh, and what is your role there? Well, InvestKL is an investment promotion agency of the Malaysian government. Uh, And our role is to attract and facilitate multinationals to consider greater Kuala Lumpur as a hub or a location for their regional activities in expanding uh, into Asia or Asia-Pacific. And my role as Director of Strategic Communications and Partnerships is basically ensuring that the right messaging goes out to to the right investors. Uh, We work with partners in terms of our partnership role. And, and trying to build funnels whereby we can then have investors come in to consider Kuala Lumpur or Greater Kuala Lumpur as a regional hub. No, that's great. That sounds like there's a, a lot of moving parts there, Tim, uh, a lot of uh, stakeholders to work with. That sounds kind of interesting. Quick question I had on that, really, and it's really about marketing challenges. I think you've been very successful at InvestKL in attracting enterprises to, to locate there. But I was just wondering, what are some of the biggest challenges that you have there? Or rather, maybe not just biggest challenges for InvestKL, biggest challenges you know, in the industry that you're in, in attracting investment and relocation. It sounds like a very challenging business. Well, Jeremy, it's challenging, but it's also a good challenge. Uh, It's an interesting challenge. It's not a a real tough challenge. Uh, We have been fairly successful. We incorporated in 2011, and we were given given a target of 100 large multinationals. And when I say large, it's the Fortune 500, Fox 2000 type of companies. We were tasked to get 100 by 2020, and to date, uh, we achieved that in October of last year, 2020, but we closed the year um, with 103. So we have been very successful in our work. And yes, uh, there is nothing without a challenge, and all this is very challenging. Um, number one, when we first started, a lot of invest, uh, multinationals or, or, or we call them investors they were unaware of where Kuala Lumpur is. Uh, you know, they, they knew where Asia was, they knew certain countries where, where our neighboring countries were, but Kuala Lumpur and Malaysia was, you know, not recognized. So our one of our, our initial roles was how do we how do we bring up the name of Kuala Lumpur? How do we make Kuala Lumpur known to the potential investors? What do we need to share with them to tell them that, hey, Kuala Lumpur exists and Kuala Lumpur is, you know, uh, located north of our nearest neighbor or south of our, the other neighbor. So, so there, are, there are activities and, and, and 
programs and publications and write-ups that we have to do to promote Kuala Lumpur from scratch because everybody, to some extent, knew Malaysia truly Asia in a tourism way, but when it comes to business and uh, investment opportunities, that drew a kind of black. That does sound pretty challenging, Tim. I mean, how did you kind of go about solving those challenges? I think one of one of the basics, uh, you know, in all, in all marketing is you have to know and understand what your customer wants, and also you have to understand who your competitor is. So we had kind of worked it out what we really want them to hear, what they want to find out, and of course we try to see how we can, you know, uh, not outplay our competitors, but be competitive with our competitors in, in, in a way that, that whatever communications that we go out suits the information that needed by these people. It, it could be, you know, it could be simple white papers or publications that talks about the viability of a location. We can talk about the livability of a location. We can talk about the infrastructure of a location. And of course, the most important thing is, of course, is the each country's political stability, government's position in business and whether government's friendly to, to the business community. So things like that has to be shared out and it, it's, it's putting all that out in the right platforms. Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like a heavy emphasis on content marketing. And just in the case of KL, you know, what, what, do you, what is the key messaging for KL? What is it that's kind of the unique selling point for, for KL? Well, KL, KL is a, has an interesting proposition. I mean, we are a livable city. We are cost-effective cost-efficient. I wouldn't say that we are cheap because we are fairly highly priced according to other cities in the region, but we are competitive and cost-efficient. We have a great livability aspect in terms of greenery, in restaurants, lifestyle here is, is good and it's easy. If public infrastructure is there, we have our proper roads and rail and, and, and public transport systems, it is good. Uh, our connectivity is good. If you look at it, whether it's broadband connectivity or even if it's air travel connectivity, that, that's quite good. But of course, now COVID, things have come to a grinding halt. But if you think of pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID, things, when things have become normal, we have all that. And at the end of the day, it's a city where you do not have to live in a shoebox and pay expensive prices. Right. No, that sounds very interesting as I'm kind of living in that kind of location where I am living in a shoebox. So uh, I appreciate uh, that maybe more than some of our listeners. So that's kind of interesting, uh, Tim. Uh, Just more generally on on marketing, it it sounds like it's a very different proposition, marketing a location rather than other products and services. What are the key challenges there, Tim, for you as a marketer? Well, one thing for sure is that we have to be mindful of what level of people we're speaking to. If the, the people that we, we want to talk to is of a certain level, that is, is a certain level of things that we have to prepare. We're not selling a can of Coke or you know, a, a loaf of bread where it's more mass. Ours is very targeted, very skewed. And it's in a way very niche. So our messaging has to be in a way very niche as well. So what we try to do is instead of doing basic thematic uh, ads, we look at more of a thought leadership pieces or editorial pieces, whereby then it tells a bigger story and can invite more of a you know, uh, response back versus a straight thematic advertisement. So in that context, the approach is slightly different. 
versus you know a more consumable good. So I feel that if we reach our audiences with the right messages, with the right articles, with the right thought leadership, I think the awareness becomes a lot better and faster. No, that makes a great deal of sense. Uh, I'm just wondering what it is, uh, without disparaging kind of other marketers, what, what is it you think yourself and other people in your industry kind of do better than other marketers? Is it this kind of focus on content marketing? What, what is it that you think you do a little bit better? <laughs> I don't want to disparage anybody, but I, I don't think we're doing any better than everybody else. I think each, each marketing person has its own advantages and its own strength. I wouldn't say I'm better than everybody else. I think everybody has got their own strength and everybody's got their own way of doing things. So I think we all share the same, the same mistakes and the same glory as, as marketers. Okay, well, I think you're being uh, overly modest there, Tim. So I'm going to turn the question on its head now then in that case. What, what is it that you think your, you and your team could maybe learn from other marketers? Or, or what aspect of marketing do you kind of want to invest a little bit more time in? In the, in the last several years, I think what has really come up and really pushed ahead is the social media and the digital side. I mean, things like podcasts like these, communications through social media, you know, things like videos, TikTok has, has, has gone very big. And when I talk about social media, not only TikTok, you have others as well. Then again, you have your other communication messages. For example, in China, a lot of people use WeChat, which we don't really use WeChat for, for a marketing tool, but in China, you probably have to, you know, imagine doing WhatsApp as a marketing tool. So things like this are something that we have to learn and we have to get used to. We have to move away from the traditional to go into the, to the new age, if I want to put it that way, the digital sphere. That makes a great deal of sense. Social is interesting. I mean, I think there's different aspects to social and there are lots of different channels out there now. And I, I think I was just thinking about your business in general, and I was thinking of it from two aspects. One is, as you said, you're, you're obviously reaching out to you know, C-level decision makers, uh, but there are also other stakeholders that you need to influence. They're involved in that kind of massive decision for an enterprise to relocate or invest. So I, I'm aware that you probably have lots of different personas or people that you need to target. So the social uh, aspect is important because you have to reach people in different ways. And you know, the second aspect I, I was thinking about was also I think there was this preconception that maybe social was maybe not the best way to reach, um, you know, C-suites. But um, you know, from my own experience working with Harvard Business Review, for example, you know, the C-suite share an awful lot of content via social. You know, it's obviously especially LinkedIn, but also other channels. And you know, as more and more people share content through social, even people at sea level, um, it's obviously an important channel that, that can't be ignored. I think the important point you made is that there are different, especially you know, within Asia, there are different markets and different social channels to, to explore. That's right. I mean, you're right, uh, Jeremy, because, you know, if you're talking about the C-suites in, in the 70s or the 80s, you're looking at, at the older generation. But, you know, in this current day and age, the, the C-suites can be as young as 35, 40, 45, 50, and they are savvy in digital. They're savvy in social media. And, you know, it's depending on who we want to reach and how we want to reach and what's the best way to reach them, really, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point, Tim. I mean, it's quite often a generalization when we talk about uh, millennials as if this is like an 18 to 19 year old we're talking about. But millennials now are in their 30s or maybe even early 40s that are powerful decision makers. And uh, as you said, uh, you know, they're kind of digital first marketers. So, you know, we have to reach out to them. Listen, I didn't want to fo overly focus on COVID, uh, but it is kind of interesting that I'm just guessing that 
live events have traditionally been a big component part, I imagine, of your marketing or communications platforms. And obviously, you know, that's either taken a hit or it's been impacted by COVID. Just on the subject of live events, how important are live events in your marketing and how have you kind of managed that in the last 12 months? Because we are a niche factor, we are only reaching a selected group of people. It also depends on the type of live events. We tend to go with a more targeted, focused type of live events. We don't prefer the big four, five hundred people presentation type of events because then the involvement level, the, the networking level is it, kind of lost. But we look at live events as targeted and focused and in the smaller groups. And yes, that's important for us. But because of what's happening now and everything's gone on either virtual or you know hybrid, it's how we adapt. And instead of now being able to shake hands, we are looking at each other on, on you know on virtual on Zoom or, or, or any of the other platforms. And we just have to make do. There have been successes. I can't say that meeting clients virtually are bad. It's not actually not bad. In fact, we can actually meet more of them virtually, uh, not as personal, but we can still meet them because we can do more people in one meeting than if we were to go there or they were to come here to meet us. So imagine, let's say, uh, we were to have a meeting with a company and if we were to go to, let's say, Hong Kong or, or even to the US, it's only one or two people from us going to meet them. Whereas virtually, we can have a team that can really work with them and consult with them. And they can have a team coming back and, and, and communicate virtually. So in that context, we, we get more people and involvement in, in, in meetings, you know, and, and that helps. I have also heard that there are companies or multinationals who have begun hiring processes virtually and have hired people virtually. And these people that have been hired have been starting to work virtually as well. So I think that hasn't stopped in terms of that engagement. Oh, that's really interesting. That, as you said, a lot of people are hiring. And I imagine there are some people that uh, have not actually worked in the office yet and have been working for almost a, a year uh, with, with probably without meeting colleagues. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic. I just had a thought about, I mean, there is a kind of cliche or a generalization about business in Asia that it's very much built on relationships, which I think is true. But I, th I think it's sometimes overplayed that that's the only way business is done in Asia. But I've just had a, a kind of thought about this whole notion of face-to-face -face meetings. I'm kind of hoping that this kind of a situation that we're going through is kind of going to strengthen relationships a little bit. And the reason I say that, and I was kind of interested in your thoughts on it, I've certainly spoken with clients that maybe I wouldn't have met because they've just jumped on a Zoom call straight away and we've had a good chat. Uh, and we've kind of avoided this kind of trying to arrange a face-to-face -face meeting, which sometimes can take some time. And especially in your case, where you're meeting senior execs. Uh, but I have this kind of hopeful thinking now that because we've had so many virtual meetings, by the time we actually do get to meet our prospects or clients face-to-face, -face, I have a feeling we're going to know them much better. And the relationship is actually going to be much stronger. And that first meeting is going to be a much stronger, much more interesting meeting because we already have a lot of knowledge about each other. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. You're right. I mean, I've met a potential client virtually and we have gotten a conversation. Of course, the next time when we meet a person, that, that distance is, 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 is 
kind of like disappears because we have at least seen each other rather than coming straight for the first time on a physical meeting and like, you know, we're going to start shaking hands and, yeah. and, and getting through the pleasantries and, and you're not sure what you can ask and what you can't ask, what you can say, what you can't say. But in virtual, we have pretty much, you know, cleared all that and you're right. A lot of them seem to be happier doing virtual than physical because, you know, um, sometimes they're sitting at home and they can do five, six meetings in a row versus, you know, doing five, six meetings in the office because it's running from one building to the other whatsoever. So, I, I, you know, I, I do agree with you that some people tend to prefer virtual uh, for the initial meetings, yes. Yeah, and as you said, some people prefer and some people don't. So it's always going to be a case of, you know, people have preferences. Yep. I mean, we uh, immediately, we, you know, we hope this doesn't go on. Uh, for the last year and a bit, you know, for the last, I think, was it what, 14, uh, well, almost 14, uh, almost a year now, uh, travel has been reduced and, and meetings have been reduced. And uh, if this goes on for another year, I think it's going to be really, really, really tough for everybody, uh, not just uh, us uh, in, in investment promotion, but I think it's just going to affect everybody globally. So hopefully, once the vaccines are out and everybody's eliminated and Let's see how it goes. I mean, we, 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 we just need to get back to some normality. You know, I, It won't be the same normality, but to some level of normality. Yeah, no, I agree. It won't be the same you know, kind of uh, normality. It'll be a, a different version of, of that, I think. And you know, just on that point, Tim, I was just wondering, the experiences you've had in the last 12 months uh, kind of uh, operating and kind of continuing your marketing communications, is there... How has that kind of shaped your thinking going forward? Have you changed your thoughts on anything? And I just wondered generally where your industry, I mean, the whole inward investment industry might be going over the next few years. So it's kind of two questions wrapped up in there, really. Well, I think investment promotion goes on. There is always a need for us to continue, you know, building investment into the country. FDIs into any country shows the viability of that location. So our work continue regardless of whether um, it's a physical meeting, whether it's a virtual meeting, but what we have to do is find new ways virtually or otherwise to get our messages out and continue to get our messages out at the right time at the right place. So I, I suppose we can't simply stop because there's COVID or we cannot simply stop because there's not vaccines. Uh, I just we just have to find our ways around these things, find best way to do certain things, you know, and still expect some level of success in our results. Yeah, no, that's great, Tim. I like that. Uh, as marketers, we just go uh, push on. I think if there was a, a kind of short uh, message that encapsulates that kind of positivity, I like that. Just push on. Well, listen, that was a, a very positive message to, to finish on, Tim. And I'm not surprised because you are a very positive person. So thank you very <laughs> thank much you. for that. And listen, uh, Tim, just, just want to thank you very much for being on the program. I really enjoyed our discussion, as I always do. And I'm sure our listeners uh, will do as well. So thank you very much for being on the program, Tim. Well, thank you for having me, Jeremy. Let me wish you a good year ahead. We're only in February, but good year, prosperous year and a happy year ahead. Thank you very much. Absolutely. A very positive message to finish on, Tim. Really enjoyed that discussion and you know, look forward to, to hopefully having you on the program again in the future. So thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, do share. 
We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you want to access other podcasts and related articles, you can visit us at omjmedia.com. That's omjmedia.com. Until next time, bye-bye.